Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. We ask the Lord will bless the reading of His infallible and inspired word. The place of prayer is one of the most vital parts of a Christian's daily walk with God. Hence, it is one of the most frequently and consistently attacked parts of the Christian's daily life. Satan knows that if he can defeat us here, then he can hinder our walk with the Lord. Satan knows the number one way to hinder us in the place of prayer is by causing us to misunderstand or to misapprehend our standing in Christ, our union with Him. But here we have the Apostle Paul giving us infallible Instruction concerning the proper preparation and the proper conduct in the battle of prayer. And so I would like for us to consider this evening the battle of prayer as it is presented to us here in this wonderful epistle. If we do not understand our union, our standing in Christ, the place of prayer can be very difficult for us. We get before the Lord and lose sight of why we're able to come before the Lord, how we're able to come before the Lord. And Satan knows how to twist and to turn and to whisper evil things into our ears to cause us to doubt and to despair even while we're in the middle of seeking the Lord. I'd like us to consider uh, these verses in this passage of Scripture under five headings. The difficulty of the battle, the intensity of the battle, the spirituality of the battle, the significance of the battle, and the objective of the battle. So first we see the difficulty of the battle. And if you'll notice with me in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
That word, finally, the last thing he's going to leave with them. The epistle to the Ephesians is one of the most glorious epistles, if we can speak of it in that sense, and our favorite epistles, maybe this would be one of them. Uh, The Apostle Paul has been laboring in this epistle to show Christians their wealth and their walk in Christ, their wealth and their walk in light of that wealth in Christ. And now he gives his final exhortation, but if you look with me in chapter 1 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives us sort of a summary statement of what's going to be contained in this epistle in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The Apostle Paul then begins to unpack that statement and and the other statements that follow, and he proceeds to tell us of all of our spiritual blessings in Christ, an infinite number of them, but he elaborates on them. And you'll notice as you read through, he gives these truths that impact our souls deeply, and he shows us our wealth in Christ, and then he points us to how we should walk in light of that wealth. Well, that is what he does throughout the epistle. And then as we come to chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, finally, the last thing he's going to leave with them, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we're considering our point one, the difficulty of the battle. And the difficulty of the battle is seen in the exhortation to the battle and the preparation for the battle. So we have the exhortation to the battle in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This reminds us of Joshua 1.9 where we read, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. The context of Joshua there, he's about to enter into fierce wars and battles with countless of the foreign nations. And the Lord tells him, Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. So we can see a... Similar type of language here with the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the battle. He's preparing us for what he's about to say. As we see the exhortation to the battle and the preparation for the battle. And this is verses 11 through 17. Verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he proceeds to show us the armor that we are to put on. And really, uh, if you study these verses, you'll find there is a plethora of interpretation that men uh, come up with all kinds of things that these pieces of armor represent. And it's not that what they come up with is necessarily wrong according to 
the scriptures. It's just that they're not very concrete. And so we want to be concrete in how we understand these verses to what they are teaching us, what they are telling us to do in this putting on of the whole armor of God. In order to do that, we need to understand verse 11. Verse 11 is our key in understanding the rest of what Paul is going to say here regarding this armor of God. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God. And if you have a cross-reference in your Bible, you may or may not, but one that would be definitely in there if you did would be Romans 13, 14. And I would ask you to turn with me there to Romans 13, 14. Almost a parallel verse from the same man who's writing the epistle to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. He writes in Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And if you back up, to verse 12, he says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? We come down to verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul uses that word that comes up in the English, put ye on, or put on, where he says in Back in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. It's the same word where he says, put ye on or put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. He uses the same word again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. He uses the word here and he says, and have put on the new man. If we back up and read the context, he's speaking, he gives a list of sins and he says, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have, there's that word, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we see the context of that word usage, put on, in the Apostle Paul's writings, has always a connection with it to put on Christ, to put on the new man. As we see it and read it in Romans thirteen fourteen, so we have the same thing here. And this is why that verse 11 is the key to understanding what he's referring to in all these pieces of armor. He says, put ye on, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So understanding this to mean the whole armor of God is union with Christ. The whole armor of God is union with Christ. This gives us an ability to interpret these the rest of these verses clearly, not coming up with what they may or may not be, but clearly referencing union with Christ. And we believe this makes the most sense of the passage and is natural interpretation of these pieces of armor. Especially 
considering the context, he says that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Speaking of the wrestling that takes place in the believer's life with the devil, the way to overcome that is always through Christ. It's always through the gospel. We read in Revelation 12 of saints overcoming the devil. And how do they overcome him? Well, we read in Revelation 12 and verse 10, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb in Revelation 12. So, taking that as our guide for the rest of this passage and under this, the preparation for the battle, the whole armor of God, union with Christ. So we see, we're commanded in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having your loins girt about with truth. Now, the truth being spoken of here is different than the truth being spoken of in verse 17 where he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Obviously, the Word of God is truth. But this truth here is establishing what we are to do first. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.13 uses similar language. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uses that same phrase, gird up, that we find here the Apostle Paul using. Having your loins gird about with truth. We must know the truth as it concerns our union with Christ first. That is our first thing to do as we are preparing for this battle of prayer that we are going to enter into. All of this is leading up to verse 18 where the Apostle Paul is going to charge us into the battle, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. But this is our preparation for the battle. And so we see the exhortation and the preparation under the difficulty of the battle. This shows us how difficult this battle must be seeing that we must prepare ourselves in this way. But truth as it concerns our union with Christ in verse 14. Then we're told, and having on, the, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. We're told in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus Christ has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We're told that in Philippians 3.9, the Apostle Paul would rather be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This breastplate of righteousness. It's all an appropriating of the truth of our union with Christ that is our preparation for what we're going to read in verse 18. So stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, 
my peace I give unto you. In John 16, 33, these things have I, I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we go through here, each one of these is appropriating to us, showing us that we need to meditate on our union with Christ because each one of these is a piece of what is going to be completed as we come to verse 17. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. See, in these verses there's been a lot of interpretation, whether it's our righteousness as being obedient to God's commands and taking the shield of faith. Is it our faith or what is it? Well, as I've said, verse 11 gives us our guide that these all have to do with union in Christ. If we understand that verse 11 is saying that the whole armor of God is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, is that faith which comes to us from God in Christ. We're told in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that our faith is a gift from God. We're told in Hebrews 12, 2 that Jesus Christ is the author of our faith. So we see the salvation next in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation... And take the helmet of salvation. And if you can imagine yourself putting on these pieces of armor. Or you can imagine a soldier putting on these pieces of armor. Each one further preparing him for the battle that he's about to face. And they, they follow one another. You gird up your loins. Then you put on your breastplate. Then you take up uh, your... You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You take up the shield of faith. And finally, before you take up the sword, you put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet would be the last thing you'd put on because to have it on would make putting on everything else much more difficult. But putting on the helmet of salvation, showing the completeness of our union with Christ, showing the final piece of the armor. Colossians 2.10 tells us, Ye are complete in Him, speaking of Christ, ye are complete in Him. Then we see in verse 17 also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As we said already, the truth as it concerns our union in Christ, in verse 14, this is the Word of God, the truth as it concerns our weapon of offense, the proper use of which is exemplified by our Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, we read of the Lord Jesus being tempted of the devil and each time responding with the word of God. The devil comes, twists the word of God and attacks our Lord in a temptation and yet the Lord Jesus Christ responds with truth, the proper interpretation of the truth. And then in Colossians 3.16, we are told to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, this is our preparation for the battle. So now we want to see the intensity of the battle. The intensity of the battle. Verse 18. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer. Always with all prayer. This is an intense praying that we see here in this battle. The Apostle Paul has now shown us the proper preparation to the battle that we're going to face every day in the life of any believer. This is a battle that we should be facing every day, the battle of prayer. And the Apostle Paul, having shown us that proper preparation, he now tells us what it's actually going to be like in the battle. It's going to be a praying always with all prayer and supplication. Praying always. It's seen in the way we are exhorted to pray, that it is an exhausting praying and that it is a perpetual praying. It reminds us of James 5.16 where we're told the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Luke 18, verse 1, we're told men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Romans 12, 12, we're told not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer and watching in the same with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. So we find these commands and these exhortations all through the scriptures. But again, the Apostle Paul is showing us here how we do this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So we see the intensity of the battle. We want to see the the spirituality of the battle. (coughs) Excuse me. The spirituality of the battle. Verse 18. In the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So we see the spirituality of the battle in the dependence on the Spirit of God. The dependence on the Spirit of God. This praying that is involved in this daily battle must be effectual, must be fervent and perpetual. But it must also be in the Spirit. As we read in Romans 8.26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In Jude 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, We see the spirituality of the battle, that it must be prayer in the Spirit. Now we see the significance of the battle. The significance of the battle. With all perseverance and supplication for all saints. For all saints. So we see the significance of the battle in the fact that all saints are called to the battle. All saints are called to the battle. The Apostle Paul writing this to the church at Ephesus <coughs> excuse me, intends that this letter will be read to multiple Christians, to all saints, as we have it here before us this very day, reading it. All saints. And so, the fact that all saints are called to the battle, as we're all reading this being told to pray always 
with this all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints. So we see that it's the fact that all saints are called to the battle and the fact that all saints are affected by the battle. The fact that all saints are affected by the battle. Because he says, all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does he intend uh, for us to take away from that? Is he intending that we would make prayer for every saint in the world in general? We could say yes. But even more specifically, the saints we know, the saints we have around us, making prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints, all saints we know and all saints we come in contact with, (coughs) making prayer for the church of the living God, making prayer for all saints. So if all saints pray for all saints, potentially you have all of us praying for one another. The Apostle Paul is concerned about this, as we'll see in the next point, uh, to show us uh, what is necessary for the furtherance of the kingdom of God in this sinful and corrupt world. So, the significance of the battle. Now we want to move. Well, before we move to the next point, the significance of the battle is also seen in verse 19. Because the Apostle Paul not only wants prayer to be made for all saints, but he includes himself in verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. To make known the mystery of the gospel. It's no small thing that the Apostle Paul requests prayer for himself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is he who, though he would go in fear and trembling to Corinth, he would go and he would preach and he would be beaten and other places where he would go, cast out, left for dead outside of a city. The mighty Apostle Paul requests prayer for himself. And not just for anything, but that utterance would be given unto him. That he might open his mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. The apostle recognizes the futility of a man standing up to preach without the power of God. And so when we go into this battle of prayer that we are all called to, we need to understand that it's not an insignificant battle. That the prayers of every single saint matter. They matter to God. And they are the means that God has ordained to further progress His church. Apostle Paul says, For me that utterance may be given unto me, that he might open his mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. The significance of the battle. Now we want to move to the objective of the battle. The objective of the battle. Why the battle? Why the battle? 
as we've already said, because God has ordained the ends as well as the means. It's important to understand this because there are many Calvinistic Christians who may have a hyper view of the, excuse me, of the sovereignty of God. Such a high view of the sovereignty of God that it makes them feel as though they don't need to pray, that they don't need to evangelize, that they don't need to go out and obey the Lord in what He's commanded us to do simply because He's commanded us to do it. But there's more to it than that. It's not just a bare obedience. It's understanding that God in His sovereignty has ordained that our prayers would be the means of souls coming to Christ, of the church being built, of people in foreign lands hearing the gospel with power, as the Apostle Paul requests that he make, would open his mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Not just that the gospel would go places, but that it would go in power and that he would see fruit for the preaching of the gospel. We must understand and be encouraged that God has ordained to answer our prayers according to if they be according to His will, made in the Spirit and through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that if they be according to His will, He's ordained that they will be answered. And what an encouragement that is for us to pray. And the Apostle Paul surely understands that, which is why he lays so much emphasis on prayer. But we see the objective of the battle in the prayers of the Apostle Paul. How are we to be praying for all saints? Because he hasn't given us anything here that really guides us. He tells us that you need to be praying in the Spirit with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He tells us we need to be doing that. But the question that comes to us is how? How are we to be making these prayers for all saints? How are we to be praying for ministers of the gospel? Well, he's given us some light there. Utterance may be given unto me that I may, make, may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. But how are we to be praying for one another? How are we to be praying for the churches in our denomination? Or how are we to be praying for the churches at large and for the church of Christ in general? What is the objective of the battle? The daily going to war with Satan in this place of prayer. To prevail with God. To wrestle in the place of prayer as Jacob of old did. And became known as the one who prevailed with God. So we see the objective of the battle in the prayers of the Apostle Paul. The prayers of the Apostle Paul. In this very epistle... We've been given numerous examples, two of which we will look at in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So there would be nothing wrong with making this a prayer for the people of God. Making this a prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Making this a prayer for those you see in your daily walk. Or for those you gather with on the Lord's day for worship. And we see even more in the next prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14 through 19. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a prayer that we could pray for one another. This is how the Apostle Paul prayed for all saints. And so we should take notice that the Apostle Paul is teaching by example that we can pray these prayers for one another. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That we can pray that for one another. To, for each of us to be built up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be built up in our reading of the Word of God and our understanding and our laying hold of Christ and our meeting with Him on the Lord's Day. And to what end? That we might know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, and be filled with all the fullness of God. So the prayers of the Apostle Paul show us how to pray. What's the objective? What are we to be praying for, for all saints? For growth in Christ, for the body of Christ to be built up in faith and love and hope to God. But also in Colossians 4.12, we're given a prime example. Because... It can become very hard uh, in our prayer times to know who to pray for or what to pray for. We see a prime example in Colossians 4, verse 12. A man named Epaphras, who is a minister of Christ uh, to those in, Coloss- in, in Colossae, and who is one of them. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So he did that for the Colossian Christians. He labored fervently in prayer for them, that they should stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Such a simple prayer as that, praying it for the body of Christ even for just simple guidance in making us perfect and complete in all the will of God. But it's very likely that he not only did this for the Christians at uh, the church at uh, Colossae, but he also 
as it says in verse 13, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and in Heropolis. So very likely we have here a man of God, a minister of the gospel, but an example of a man of God nonetheless that we all could imitate praying for multiple congregations, lifting them up, laboring fervently for them in prayer. And what is that? But Ephesians 6.18 played out for us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. But we see that the Apostle Paul prays specifically for growth in Christ, being built up in the faith. And that is how we can pray for one another. So we see the objective in the prayers of the Apostle Paul, but also in the requests of the Apostle Paul. The request of the Apostle Paul. In verse 19, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Making known the mystery of the gospel. The Apostle Paul had the request that the gospel would go forward. As we've already said, not merely go forward so that we can say the gospel went forward, but in power that it would go forward. We have a similar request in Colossians 4.3 where he says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Almost a parallel request. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, we have an example of this prayer being answered. And if we don't need examples of this prayer being answered in such a dark day as this, then we're fooling ourselves. We need encouragement. We need to know that the Lord will answer this prayer. And so we see in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power. In power. What is that but an answer to the Apostle Paul's request that utterance would be given? That utterance would be given. It's no doubt that the Apostle Paul knew this was a universal request from everyone. To be praying for him. That the Lord would grant that he could open his mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And the fact that he uses language for our gospel came not unto you in word only. Shows that that had been the case before. And no doubt we read that there were times where the Apostle Paul would go into a town and preach and nothing would happen. In fact, we read that when he goes to Corinth in the book of Acts, we read that the Lord came to him and gave him encouragement. Be of good courage, I have much people in this city because nothing was happening. But the Lord comes and encourages him. But it gives us an example that the gospel can go forward in word only. And indeed, that's what we find the Lord Jesus telling us, if you go somewhere and they don't accept you, wipe off the dust of your feet. If you go and you carry the gospel somewhere and there's, there's nothing there, wipe off the dust of your feet and move on. 
But that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be what we want. That shouldn't be something we're okay with. We need to be as the Apostle Paul was that he would request that utterance would be given unto me. And if we're not preachers or we're not ministers of the gospel, that utterance would be given to them who are. should be the prayer of each and every one of us. The battle of prayer is crucial. And though we don't know each other's private lives, and though we don't know the private life of every Christian, it seems that perhaps it's a battle that we're losing daily more often than we like to admit. Perhaps it's not the case with all of us. But this is a battle that we can't afford to lose. To enter into our praying with a proper understanding of our union with Christ is crucial because as soon as we enter into that battle, Satan comes and seeks to distract us and to attack us and to discourage us from praying. It seems as though when we come into the place of prayer sometimes that we start remembering sins that we had forgotten all about. Things we've done that we somehow fear could keep us out of the favor of God and the ability to pray. And the devil knows that. And it's only through a proper appropriating of our union with Christ that we can enter in to praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. There is no other way to do what we're being told to do here without that proper understanding. The objective of the battle, to see the church go forward, to see the people of God built up, to see the gospel go forward in power, and souls being saved. People coming to know Christ. Close with. Again exhorting us to understand that union. To put on the whole armor of God. Daily. Daily appropriating and meditating upon our union with Christ. That when we wake up and we try to pray, we go into that place of prayer acknowledging the only right we have to be there, our union in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we Come to Thee, Lord, and thank Thee again for the Word of God. We thank Thee that Thou hast given us such exhortations as this, Lord. Father, very often, as Thou well knowest, the devil comes and attacks us when we're at our lowest. He comes, Lord, when we seek thy face and seeks to thwart our praying unto thee. And we do plead the blood of Christ against him tonight, Lord.
And we do pray that Thou wouldst hinder him from continuing to attempt to thwart us in that place of prayer. Lord, we pray for Thy church as the devil is so active in attacking her so very openly today. We do pray, Lord, that Thou wouldst hinder him. Thou wouldst give growth to Thy people. That Thou would grow us up in Christ, Lord, individually and collectively. That Thou would bless Thy church with power. Lord, power to witness. Power to see the gospel of Christ go forward. Power to pray and to seek Thy face. Lord, help us to lay hold of Christ. Help us to know Him, Lord. Help us to know our union with Him. Help us to know except we abide in Him, we can do nothing. And help us to put on the whole armor of God afresh. To know the immense wealth that we have in Christ. May we receive encouragement, Lord, from this. May we know thy blessings to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, thou knowest when the days are hard and when the work is rough and when we see the gross sinfulness of this world so rampant around us. Lord, we need to lay hold of thee. And we need to know Christ more. And we pray that as we do that and as Thou enable us to do that, that Thou would encourage us to pray. In Jesus' name.